Amen. Man, so good to be in church. Already having a good time this morning. Amen. I'm glad, are you glad you didn't stay home in your pajamas? You know, the, uh, <clears throat> not making any shots at those on live stream. You know, if you are watching by your pajamas, through your pajamas, that's okay. Uh, but you need to be here. You know, it's, it's more fun here, right? We have a better time here. Amen. Guys, we are starting a new series this morning on the book of Noah. Uh, the title of the series is Noah, and we're going to be talking about, really we're going to be talking about it from an Old Testament and a New Test- Testament perspective because Jesus references and the New Testament references Noah quite a bit, uh, sort of as a guide and an example or a, uh, an, a symbol of what the actual end times of this planet, this earth is going to be like. And so we're going to look at Noah's life and the, the, the lessons that we can learn from that story. And we're also going to be comparing it with uh, passages from the New Testament. And I don't know how long we'll be in this series, but I believe it's very relevant for the time that we're in. And I just expect our church to grow in understanding and, and hear the voice of God through this series. Amen. So let's prepare our hearts for that. And actually, let's just begin with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you for the Word of God. Lord, it's our anchor. It's our foundation in so many ways. We cling to it. Uh, it is our absolute truth. And there's no truth, no opinion that is higher than your Word. And we bow our lives and our hearts to your Word. doesn't matter if we see things or don't understand something or, or we have a different opinion. We submit that under the power and the authority of your Word. And so we open our hearts this morning, ready to receive the Word of God. Let it change us and uh, shape us more into your image. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and agree. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that the Word of God is our final and absolute authority? Amen. On every issue. Not every Christian believes that. There are a lot of Christians today that they don't believe, uh, or, or they might even believe it with Mentally, they might say that, but they're, they're, the fruit of our lives speaks a lot louder than the fruit of our mouths. You can say the Word of God is your final authority, but your life really tells us whether you believe that or not. And I've seen many Christians, and I say many, unfortunately, many Christians, their entire life be derailed and sidetracked, many of them not even serving God today because they let a little crack in their thinking uh, that, that superseded and became higher than the Word of God on a particular issue. It doesn't matter what that issue is. For, for our day and time, it ends up being things like homosexuality or transgenderism. or It could be disciplining children. It could be anything. Anytime you elevate your own opinion or your own thinking above the Word of God, you're opening a crack in your life for deception, and that deception can derail and destroy your entire life because the Word of God is everything. And there is no authority higher than the Word of God. And if you don't live like that and you don't accept that in your life, um, you're opening your door, you're opening your life, you're opening a door in your life to destruction from the enemy. And he looks for that. He, he looks for those opportunities, those cracks, those footholds to get into your life and bring destruction. So for me, the Word of God is the highest authority, period. I don't care. What, what I think, I don't care what you think, I don't care what the culture thinks, I don't care what anybody thinks. The Word of God is the highest authority in my life and in this church. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about Noah. Let's get started on Noah. The New Testament constantly warns us uh, over and over as believers about the final days on this earth. The Bible calls it the end times um, and really when it's talking about the end times, it's just it's talking about the season that precedes the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, some people have ideas of what the what his coming is going to be like. Some people think it's going to be, uh, you know, like a, a pre-tribulational rapture. Some people think mid-trib. Some people think after. And that's really not what's important. What the Bible is talking about is there's going to be a season on the earth, a period of time that right before the return of Christ. And that season of time is what the Bible tells us to prepare for because it says there's, got, there's not going to be any harder days on this planet than those days. Those will be the hardest days and the most difficult days that the planet has ever seen. And there's going to be a group 
of people on the earth at that time that walk through that, that live through that. And I, I think everything in the Word of God points to the fact that there's going to be some challenging times that the church and the people of God are going to have to walk through. And so because of that, the Bible tells us over and over that we should anticipate that day, that season. We should think about that season and we should prepare for that season. Why? Because it also seems from Scripture that many will find themselves unprepared for that season and that day. I'm, I, I can't take a whole, a whole lot of time this morning to prove these things to you from Scripture, but I'm telling you things that I've observed from reading the Bible and teaching it over and over for years. It seems that these days are going to be extremely difficult, and it seems that a large portion of people will find themselves unprepared to live, walk, and endure through those days, and that the consequences of not being prepared will be extremely severe. All right? So because of that, we get a lot of warnings in Scripture. Things like, look for the day. He says, that day will come like a thief in the night. And so you need to live awake. You need to live prepared. We get a lot of Scriptures about, hey, wake up, shake yourself, live sober and ready and prepared. We get the parable of the ten virgins that talk about five being prepared, five unprepared. Five, five of them missed it and, and, and didn't, fi didn't have what God wanted them to have because they were unprepared and then five were ready and the, the difference was their preparedness. And we get things like that over and over in Scripture and Jesus is trying to tell us something. Anytime Jesus had a big point he wanted to get across, he would figure out multiple ways to communicate it. Maybe some of you do this with your kids. Like you say it one way and they give you the blank stare and you go, uh, let, let, me, let me say it another way. And then you say it, and then maybe you get out like a whiteboard and you draw it because you could tell they still ain't getting it, you know. And you give them examples, you know, and you're like, well, it's like your dog, you know, and you try to, you try to figure out an example that they can understand. This, Jesus does this a lot. Whenever he's got a point that he really wants to get and he could tell you're not getting it. The church is not getting it. The people are not getting it. He'll use parables and he'll use examples and he'll say, look, it's going to be like this. And so he used a lot of agricultural terms, right? Because that was what they were familiar with. And so he would, he would use, you know, about the, the vine and the branches and he would use things like that to try to get our attention and help the light bulb go off where we would go, oh, now I see what you're, what you're talking about. So one of those examples he uses is the life of Noah. He, he's trying to tell people that are familiar with the story of Noah. He says, look, the end times are going to be like the days of Noah. Now, what do we know about the days of Noah? Let's, let's first look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36. He said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. What day and hour? The, the return of Christ. Okay? But if you read all of Matthew 24, the whole chapter is describing what the days on earth are going to be like before the return of Christ. And this is, what it, this is what all of Matthew 24 is about. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah. Everybody said, as were the days of Noah. Okay. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now, at first glance, if you read this passage, it just sounds like everything was hunky-dory on the earth, right? And everybody's just eating, marrying, drinking, we're just having a good time, people partying, life is going on as usual. How do you know that's not what the days of Noah were like? We, let, let's, we're going to read the story, we're going to get into it. The days of Noah, the Bible says it was so wicked and so evil and so perverse that literally every single intention and thought of the heart was nothing but wicked and evil continually. That's what the Bible says. So he's not saying that the days of Noah were just like, oh, we're just eating, drinking, and marrying, and everything was fine, life was completely normal. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying even though they were absorbed completely in their wickedness and completely absorbed in their evil, for them, life was just going on as normal. 
It doesn't mean that it wasn't wicked and evil or perverse. It was extremely wicked and evil and perverse. But for them, they were so detached from God. They were so completely separated from how God felt about the situation that for them it was like life is just going on as normal. And if you look at today, I don't know, many haven't, haven't woken up to the fact that our nation is in a downward spiral. Morally speaking. And when it comes to flat out rejecting God and rejecting His Word. And listen, the consequences of that are dire and severe, and it will only continue to get worse unless there's a reversal. But many are going on just like this, right? We're on Instagram taking selfies and having fun and posting pictures and taking vacation like life is normal. That's, you know, okay. But we're, it's almost like you're doing all that on the Titanic as it's on its way down. And many have their head in the sand, and they're doing just what Jesus said here. It's like, oh, yeah, we're eating, drinking, giving, and marriage. That's just saying, yeah, you're going about like life is normal. But guess what? Life ain't normal. There's been a severe shift in our nation. There's been a severe shift in the church. There's been a severe shift in our entire world when it comes to morality, when it comes to love for God and love for His Word. There's been a severe shift, and this is what he explains is actually going to happen on the planet. Listen, it will be global. It won't be one nation. It won't be one city. It will be a global phenomenon of rejecting God and embracing evil and embracing wickedness and embracing perversion. There are, there are certain thoughts that have permeated our worldwide culture that are so sick and so perverse and the Bible says are an abomination to God, yet it's counted and talked about like it's virtuous today. If you embrace that thought, you are a hero. If you embrace that lifestyle, that way of thinking, you are a hero. You are someone to be championed if you embrace that, even though the Bible says it's an abomination to God. What is that? Well, that is wickedness, that is evil, that is perverse. And listen, God has an opinion about it. God has an opinion about it. He's not blind to it. He's sitting in heaven and he has feelings about it. And my question for you and for many believers is, do your feelings, thoughts, and opinions align with God? Or do they align with the wickedness and perversion of the world? Because the longer you're saturated in it, the, the easier it is for you to begin to adopt and absorb the thinking of this world. And, and many will reject the, the wickedness of the culture, but also many over time, they will, they will because they have allowed uh, cracks in their thinking and their standard wasn't high enough, their standard wasn't strong enough in alignment with the Word of God, they will allow cracks in their thinking and over time you will see those people walk away from God. And I've just witnessed it many times in my own life and I know many of, uh, of you have as well. So this is what he tells us. He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The conditions on earth will be similar to the conditions that were on earth at the time of Noah. Which is very severe because God, at that time, God made a judgment on the earth that was more severe than any judgment I think he's ever made towards humankind. He made a, he made a judgment and a decision to flood the earth and kill every single human being and animal on the planet except for those that he placed into the ark. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken time to think about the severity of that and how, how severe of a judgment that was. But that tells you a little bit something about the conditions that were on the earth at the time. And it makes sense because in the last days, the same judgment will come down. Now, it won't be a flood. It won't be a flood, but the Bible actually tells us that the entire earth will be destroyed with fire and dissolved as part of the judgment of God. So, yeah, the, the flood and the end time, they're very synonymous and they're very connected with what was happening on the earth and then the final judgment that came and the preservation for the righteous out of it. All of these themes are connected. What was happening in the days of Noah is the same thing that's going to happen on the earth in the end times. The wickedness and the perversion will be the same. The preservation for the righteous will be the same. And the final judgment that comes and cleanses and washes everything will be the same. 
And then we know that the Bible says that a new earth and a new heavens will be recreated for eternity. So the conditions that were on the earth in the time of Noah are the same conditions that are going to be on the earth before the return of Christ. Verse 37, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. This tells me that they were unaware. Right? They, they weren't worried. They weren't concerned. They weren't, they weren't afraid of God's judgment. They weren't aware of judgment that was about to be poured out. They were just living life as normal all the way up until the day when Noah closed the ark. Now, contrary to what you might have heard in Sunday school, Noah was not preaching to these people. I'm sorry to tell you that. If he was preaching, I'm not saying he wasn't preaching. That's not the right way to say it. He wasn't inviting them on the ark. That wasn't his role and that wasn't his purpose. Because God had already made a final judgment. The Bible actually does not say that Noah invited people on the ark. What Noah did was he, he did, the Bible in the book of Hebrews does call Noah a preacher of righteousness. And I believe that he did, of course, through his life, preach the gospel. But you have to understand what was going on here. There was a cleansing that was happening. And the ark is a symbol of salvation for those who have accepted Christ and were being preserved as because of it. There was no one being allowed on that ark that had not rejected the, the wickedness of this world and accepted Christ. And, and there's nothing in the story. Noah wasn't even allowed to do that. It wasn't something God told him to do. Actually, if you read the story, you would find out uh, that it was actually very exclusive who was allowed on the ark because of what God was doing and because of, of the judgment that was coming down. So right up until the day when Noah closed the door, they were unaware of what was happening. They were unaware of the judgment that was about to come down upon our world. Verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Again, if, if Noah had been preaching to everybody, then they would have been aware. But it says they were unaware of the flood until it came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Listen, there will not be some tremendous uh, warning on this earth before the return of Christ. Some tremendous warning that, that everybody knows, oh, God is about to come back. The people of God will know because the Word of God gives us signs and it gives us things, signposts that we should be looking for, things that will be happening on the earth. And actually when he talks about Jesus coming back like a thief in the night, he then says, but it will not be like a thief to you, those who know Christ, those who are aware, it will not be like a thief to you because we're aware, but to the world, they will be unaware. And they will continue down this path. They will continue rejecting God. They will continue blaspheming God. They will continue rejecting the word of God all the way up until the time where judgment comes. So the time for our world to repent and the time for, for our world to repent and turn to God and reject the things of this world, how many of you know that's a window that's closing? I mean, I don't know when that window is. No one, as he said, nobody knows the day or the hour. But there, there is a generation that's going to experience the return of Christ. And that window, that time to repent, that time to turn to God is a window. And then when that door shuts, that's it. After that comes judgment. You know, the first, return, the first coming of Christ to the earth was not about judgment. How many of you know that? He said that in John chapter 3. Uh, you know, we know the, the verse in John three sixteen that talks about God loving the world so much. But one of the things he says in that passage, he says, For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world so that the world might be saved. So he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't, his, that wasn't his purpose. He did not come into the world to condemn and judge the world. He came, th his first time was all about forgiveness and mercy. But guess what? The second coming is not about that. The second coming is to retrieve those that have already given their life to Jesus Christ and then to judge the world accordingly. So the second coming is not about, first coming was about mercy and forgiveness. The second coming is about judgment and justice. So we learn several things 
And several similarities when we read this from Jesus. Number one is um, that things will be continuing as normal, so to speak, in people's mind. They will be unaware that the judgment of God is upon them. There will be a sense of normalcy, but then judgment will come very swiftly and catastrophically. People will not even be aware that destruction is imminent. You know, when you look around your world and you, and you see the direction the culture is going, some of us, even Christians, can get very angry. You can look and you can, you can be angry about the thinking and the deception and the decisions that are being made and by, by you know, of course, you know, politicians, public schools, all, so many institutions that used to preserve or, or we wanted to preserve values, Christian values, family values. It's those same institutions in many cases that are now breaking those values down and rejecting those things. And you can get very angry when you see that. But listen, none of it's gotten past God. There, there's not one injustice, there's not one grievous offense that has gotten past God. He's seen every bit of it. And the only reason that judgment has not been poured out is because of the great mercy of God giving people time and space to repent. That God's heart is not judgment. God's heart is repentance. So he wants everybody to repent. In, anybody, the most wicked, evil, perverse person you can think of, if God's heart for them is to repent. God's heart for them is to change. God's heart for them is to turn. He doesn't want judgment for anyone, although that will be the end result for those that do not repent. Let's read this, uh, the parallel passage to this in Luke chapter 17. Luke records the, the same uh, sermon or, I guess, conversation that Jesus was having about this in Luke 17, 26. It says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. So now we get another piece of information here. Not going to be just like the days of Noah, but it's also going to be just like it was in the days of Lot when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. See, this is, this is another, this is God saying, hey, it's going to be like the days of Noah. And he says, uh, they're glazing over. Let me, okay, let me go this way. The days of Lot. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah, what that was like? Did y'all read about that? Did y'all read about what was going on in that city and what happened to Lot? And, and the angels that tried to, to go into that city, what happened to them? The perversion and the wickedness that was going on in that city? He says, yeah, not just days of Noah. Let me give you another example. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day... When Lot went out from Sodom, fire, sulfur, rain from heaven, and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Are you getting the picture here? Are, are you seeing the picture that he's painting? That this will be what it's like on the earth before the return of Christ, the days of Noah, the days of Lot, both situations similar. You got the exact same thing, extreme wickedness, the righteous are removed and preserved, and then extreme catastrophic judgment comes down instantly as a, in, a for, in the form of the judgment of God. So in this study, we'll be looking both at uh, Noah and Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll be looking at those uh, different examples from the Old Testament as we continue to go through this, this story. Um, but let me, let me pause and say this. You know, America is in a downward spiral. Now, I have no idea, and I don't believe anyone does, you know, we don't have any idea whether we're headed towards this final generation that he's describing here. Uh, many of you, I know I heard my whole life, you know, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, and there were books written about Jesus coming back. And listen, Jesus is coming back. But because we hear it so often, you know, people might sort of tend to relax a little bit and go, well, I've heard that forever, Jesus is coming back. He ain't ever come back, you know, and he's probably not coming back in my lifetime. Well, I don't know if he is or not. I can't tell you that. Uh, but what I do know is that our nation is in a spiral headed towards what's being described here. Now, w w will it, that be its final resting place? I don't know. And it's in a spiral, though. It's in a downward spiral headed towards what? Headed towards the days of Noah and Lot. 
that's where it's, that is where it's headed because that, that is the lowest point. And it's on that trajectory. But is it redeemable? You know, if it's in a nosedive, can it, can it come back up? Well, of course. That, that's happened in many different nations, many different generations where the nation was in a nosedive and there was, maybe there was a group of people that started praying. There was a group of people that turned to God and, re, and repented and God redeemed the situation and turned around. Can that happen? Absolutely. But we've got to have an understanding of both, right? We've got to have an understanding of which way this thing could go. It can, the path we're on is not good, and there are no signs of slowing down. As a matter of fact, it feels like a snowball going downhill right now, and it's just picking up steam. <laughs> so, it's in a downward spiral headed towards what? Well, headed towards the, the depravity, the lowest point of depravity, which is what we saw in the days of Noah and in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's those, like the two times on the earth where it seems like human beings reach the lowest level of depravity of mankind. It was almost beastly. It was almost animal-like, what is described. And we're going to look at that. It says that without God, that's humanity in their sin. And, and, and what, what we've seen in our nation is a nation that once, at least halfway, uh, embraced godly values and, and embraced the Scripture and a slow turning from that. But the more we've turned, the faster it's picked up steam. And it's just in a downward spiral headed towards that place of depravity. Now, is it redeemable? Of course it is. I mean, the Bible talks repeatedly and gives examples of prophets that prophesied to nations. Most did not repent, but some did. You remember Nineveh? God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and, and they repented. They turned, disaster was averted for them. They, re they repented from top down, from the leaders down. They repented. And, and judgment was averted. So I think what we do is we pray and believe for repentance, but we prepare in our hearts for judgment, if that makes sense. Because you don't want that to find you unprepared. So we, we believe for the best, but you prepare for the worst, if that makes sense. And that's kind of how the Bible thinks about it. When the Bible constantly reminds us what those days are going to be like the whole purpose is that you will prepare it's not it's not for you to just hear it and go well that's interesting it's to hear it and go well if that's what the days of of uh, the end times are going to be like then i need to prepare my heart because jesus could come back at any time so the bible expects us to live ready while also keeping faith and hope that hey god could do a miracle and turn this thing around Right? The church could have a revival and rise up again and, and be everything that God created her to be and be the light of the world and we could see a turning in this nation and in this city and in this state. That's what I hope and pray for. I want that and that is by no means out of the question. But we have to understand this other side too that if that doesn't happen because there obviously is going to be a generation where it doesn't happen which is why he describes it in these places. It's going to be a generation where there is no turning back. There is going to be a generation that continues on that downward spiral all the way till they reach the rock bottom of human depravity. And that time will proceed right before the coming of Jesus Christ. So let's begin looking at the days of Noah specifically. Let's go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. It says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now, this is a prophecy of sorts that apparently Lamech had about his son when he was born. God showed him uh, what the life of Noah would mean and the significance that it would have for, the, for, the, for humankind and for the earth. So he named him Noah. The word Noah means to bring rest, relief, or comfort. So they were living in a time that was extremely sinful, depraved, wicked, and, and you can imagine what it's like to live in that time, full of stress, full of anxiety, not knowing when you were going to get robbed, not knowing when somebody was going to get killed, not knowing when somebody was going to be violated in some way. And so you're just living in that all the time, and it says that rest was coming rest was coming as a, as a result. And he says, out of the ground that the Lord cursed, it's coming. And when you read about the story of Noah, that's because it says the fountains of the deep burst 
And, the, and it wasn't just rain that flooded the earth. There was the rain. But it says the fountains of the deep burst forth and flooded, flooded the earth. So Lamech had an idea of what the life of Noah would mean. Uh, as we compare the life of Noah to the return of Christ, you can also see that symbolism if this prophecy was applied to Christ. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one will bring us relief and comfort from the curse, essentially is what it's saying when it talks about the work and the painful toil of our hands. That was part of the curse. And he says, so out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. You can see that being applied to Christ too. As he was resurrected and came out of the ground, he brought us relief from the judgment and the curse and all of that. So continue next chapter, Gen- Genesis 6, 5. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Listen, I don't think we understand what it's like to live in an earth like this. I don't think any of us have an understanding of what it would be like to live on earth during this time where he says, every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And let me, let me assure you of this. Another thing we see from Scripture is that had there been anyone else righteous on the entire earth other than Noah, they would have made it on that boat. So that tells me there was one family. You ever feel like it's hard living for God? <laughs> Noah, don't want to hear about it. Okay. You feel like it's hard, you're at work, well, I'm the only one that's serving God. Well, you got a church full of people serving God along with you. you got life groups, you got family members that are serving God. No, we don't have it, we don't understand what this was. This was one family on the entire earth, because I can promise you from everything I've ever read in Scripture that had there even been a single other person on the planet, they'd have been in that boat. God was never going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. That's not His M.O., It's not how he's going to do. There's never going to be a righteous person that gets caught up in the judgment of God and judged along with the wicked. I mean, in in, in Egypt, when he was judging Pharaoh, the the children of Israel were were over here in Goshen, and and, uh, the Egyptians were over here, and it said that it was complete dark, so dark that you couldn't put a, a hand in front of your face and see it. But then over there in Goshen, it was completely daylight. And all of their cattle were killed, but all of their cattle was was healthy and, and alive. And whatever the Egyptians experienced, the children of Israel had no part in it. They experienced no judgment as a result. So this tells me the only righteous family on the entire earth was Noah. Can you imagine living in a world where not, a no, where not another single person had just what we might call human decency? everybody's being robbed, everybody's being ripped apart, everybody's experiencing violence, everyone's experiencing abuse. Everywhere you turn, this is the world that we live in. It's, it's, it, it sounds like a post-apocalyptic movie, right? Where everybody's just out for themselves, killing, whatever you got to do to survive, looking out for yourself, killing, stealing, murdering, doesn't matter. We're just, no one cares about each other. It says... The wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intention, every intention and thought of his heart was only evil continually. The, so man had been completely absorbed in their sin. If, if you imagine, this is almost what I imagine hell to be like. Just the Spirit of God completely removed, and man and demons just left to themselves to figure it out. This is probably the closest thing to hell on earth that was ever experienced. Have you ever noticed, on, even in the times that we live in, that every single thing created, every single idea that somebody comes up, comes up with, even if it's a good idea, that somehow somebody figures out a way to use it to sin? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be the most innocent thing. And somehow somebody will figure out a way to use that thing for wickedness and and sin. And it says the whole earth was consumed with that. Every intention and thought of the heart was only evil continually. And what's shocking 
is that when Jesus describes the, the end times, the days right before he returns, he says there was, there, will, there was never a time as wicked and difficult as will be this time, right before the return of Christ. So he says that the time preceding the return of Christ will even be more difficult than the days of Noah. So the Lord saw the wickedness of man great on the earth. Every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, and the Lord regretted that he even had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You see, it's hard to get through to people about the effects of sin. I mean, I, as a pastor, I get, I can, it's, it's something I can get frustrated about, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this with people you love in your life, where you can see sin attaching itself to a person's life. You can see the road that they're going down. You can see the consequences that they're going to experience because of it. And they will ignore it. They will, play, they will treat it light. They, it's like, oh, it's nothing. Not realizing the place that it's taken to. Let me explain something to you about sin. Sin is to be treated like a poison. Sin is to be treated like cancer. If you went to your doctor, and your doctor did a full examination of your body, and it said, listen, we found some cancer cells in your body. And all we got to do is cut them out. It's just a small little cluster it has the potential to grow, spread, metastasize, and just take over your whole body. But right now, all we got to do is just cut this little section out, and, and you're, good. you're good to go. I know how every one of you would do. I know what every one of us would do. We go, take that thing out. I don't want that living in me. I don't want that to spread to the rest of my body. Can I tell you that sin is more powerful and more destructive than cancer? I mean, I saw people in 2020... I still see people wearing masks, you know, I'm not, not against masks or anything like that. People wearing masks because they're afraid of COVID. Let me tell you something. If you only treated sin like we treated COVID, I, I wish people had the respect for sin that they had for COVID. If we understood how destructive sin was, we're like, no, that ain't getting on me. Where's my spiritual mask? You know, I got to put that on. I, I, don't want, I don't want that on me. I don't want sin in my life. I ain't getting anywhere. Listen. They shut down schools. They shut down schools. They shut down businesses. They shut down everything because of a, a virus and a disease that was not even lethal for most people. Okay, I'm not, I'm not even saying I'm against it. I'm just giving you facts. But when it comes to sin, we'll just let it live. We'll just let it be. They didn't shut, nobody shut down schools because of the, the drug problem in schools. Nobody shut down schools because of the sexual perversion that our kids are being sucked in every day to. Nobody shut down schools because of that because we don't, we don't treat sin like we do these physical things. But here's what Jesus said. He said, you're afraid of somebody that can kill the, the physical body? He said, you don't need to be afraid of somebody who can kill the physical body. That's not the biggest concern. The biggest concern is the one who can kill the physical body and has the power to throw you in hell. Because the eternal is more significant than the physical. And I'm going to tell you something, if you die of COVID or you die of cancer or you die of disease, but your life was right with Jesus Christ and your eternity is with him in heaven, can I just tell you, you really don't have much to be afraid of? But if you die because of sin and you die in your sin and you die separated and apart from God, now that's what you ought to be afraid of. Because the Bible tells me that you're going into an eternal separation from God to hell with Satan and his demons. That's something to be afraid of. But when it comes to the thing that would send us there, oh, we treat it light like it's nothing. Oh, we'll send our kids, you know, to places full of it every day, just hoping that it doesn't attach itself to them. Let me tell you something. You should be ten times more afraid of sin attaching itself to your child than any physical disease or problem. Now, I understand why people did it, you know, and I, of course, we, we, we have an instinct to protect our lives, preserve lives, be as healthy as we can. But can I just tell you, it's out of balance if you're more worried about protecting your physical life than you are your spiritual life. It's out of balance if you're more worried about protecting the physical life of your children than you are their spiritual life. Their eternity is more valuable and more important 
than their physical health, even, even though the other is important. It's not more important than their spiritual life and their eternity. Brandon preached this the other week, and I, I listened to it. I was, I was away that week, but I love what he said. He said, I see parents fight for the physical health and protection of their children like nobody's business. But when it comes to their spiritual life, where's that same intensity? Where's that same aggression? And I, and I know what it is. We've been lulled to sleep. We don't understand how destructive it is. But when you see the days of Noah, okay, when you see the days of Noah and you see the days of Lot, all you're seeing is the final progression and, and where sin will end up taking anybody that'll let it. If you don't, re if, you, if any of us in this room just stopped resisting sin, this is where it would take you to the days of Noah. This is where it would take our society. This is where it would take our culture to, to this place. And so sin is like a, it's like a cancer. You know, if you, the other day, we have, we have horses at our house. And from time to time, you know, we've got to give them medicine and things like that. And the dosage that they give a horse will kill me, right? If I, if I, if I accidentally took what I'm giving my horse or if I pricked myself with that needle, uh, it, you know, if I, if I gave too much to the horse, it's okay. But the horse is 1,200 pounds. So it can, it can take a lot more than I can. So when I'm doing that, I'm, you know, I wear gloves and I got stuff on because well, I don't want even a drop of that potent medicine for that horse. I don't want it getting on my skin and being absorbed into my body because I, I don't know how potent it is for, you know, little old 200-pound me. You know, I don't know if I can take what that horse can take. And so we ought to treat sin the same way. I got a drip of it on me. Let me go wash my hands. Get that off of me because I, I, don't, I don't want that hanging in my life. I don't want that getting in my bloodstream. I don't want that getting in my life because I've got to have the wisdom and the sense to know where that can take me, where it can take my kids. But we play around with it. We let it hang out. We know there's sin in our life and we, go, we tolerate it. We're like, well, I'll solve that one day. Or, well, it's okay. God will forgive me. God may forgive you, but, but that doesn't mean that you're going to escape all of the natural consequences and destruction of that in your life. And you just need to know and you need to be aware. It's more deceptive than you think. It's more powerful than you think. It's more aggressive than you think. And when you see it, we ought to deal with it and fight for it and, and take it serious. And in Noah's day, what you're seeing is you're seeing the power of sin in its full potency, unresisted. It's gotten to the point where there's literally only one family on the earth that is living righteous. Everyone else has been completely zombified by sin, just taken over. That's the point that it's at. And it's, it, it's hard, I feel like, it's hard to get Christian people to see and understand um, our world is just like the time in the day of Noah or, or in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we let it keep going, that's where it's going to end up. And, and same thing only in our lives. So verse 6, it says, And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man, animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. You can almost hear the disappointment in God's heart. This is not what he wanted for mankind. This is not where we wanted to end up. Now, if you could backtrack, right? This is where we've ended up. This insanely ridiculous, wicked time on the earth. If you could backtrack, where did it start? If you could backtrack, how did we get here? It started with one little drop in a perfect world that was everything opposite of this everything opposite of the net they were in the garden of eden perfect fellowship with god perfect peace eternal life fruits and vegetables and peace with animals and beautiful the earth was perfect what happened one little teeny drop of sin made its way in. And where we've arrived at now, by the time we get to know it, is just a result of that drop spreading slowly and consistently throughout every human life until we arrived at the place of Noah. 
This is why God takes sin so seriously. It's not because he's a fuddy-dud, not because he's old fact. This is why Christians take sin so serious. Not because we're uptight and we just don't like to have any fun. It's not why Christians care about sin. We care about sin because we're the only ones that actually understand its destructive power. We care about sin in people's lives because, and in this world because we understand something about sin that the average person doesn't. We understand the power of sin because look at what happened in the Garden of Eden and how it progressed to the days of Noah. We went, we went from perfect fellowship, perfect really world and humanity to where God's at the point where he says, I'm sorry that I've even made them. And the, the only solution, and I say the only solution because if there had been another solution, God would have taken it. Matter of fact, I think the reason it progressed this far is because th that he was looking for another solution, wanting, wanting there to be another solution, wanting there to be repentance or turning from sin. We're at the point where he says there is no solution. The only solution to this is to blot them off the earth completely. That's how, if anything, that ought to tell you how destructive the power of sin is. And I... I don't, I don't want to get off track on this too much, but listen, can I just, I'm saying this because I love them so much. You have children in your life that they, they have this trying to work its way into their life right now. Through relationships, through their phone, through what they're watching on television. Satan is looking for any and every opportunity to get as many drips of this in their life as possible so that it will spread and overtake their whole life. And if it overtakes them, it'll overtake their future marriage, it'll overtake their future kids, and it'll just keep spreading, keep going. So we as parents, we have to fight this for their lives. I don't care if you got tired of fighting it. I don't care if they don't like it and they rebel and they're mad at you for it. I don't care. You know something they don't know. And you know how serious it is, and you say, you are worth fighting for. I don't care if you get mad. I don't care if you don't like it. I'm fighting for you and fighting for your future. And every child has to have that in their life, or this will work its way into their life. Many of you. I mean, this room right now, this room is filled with adults that know exactly what I'm talking about. And you could, you could go back to your childhood, you could go back to your teenage years, and you could look at where that first drip entered. You could look at where that first little bit of sin entered your life. And many of you we could come up here and give testimonies about the havoc and the destruction that that wreaked in your life. And that if it weren't for the mercy of God redeeming you out of that, you'd still be in it today. So you know. You know. But somebody has to fight for our children. Someone has to fight for them to make sure that they never get into this. Because I'm going to tell you, it's a lot easier to disciple a child correctly than it is to fix a broken adult. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. This is a drastic and extreme solution, one that I know God wanted to avoid at all costs, but it is one, unfortunately, that will happen again. It is one that will happen again before or and at the return of Christ there will be a complete judgment and destruction on this earth. It's what the entire book of Revelation is about. Second Peter chapter 3 gives us a little bit about it. Second Peter 3, 3. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. That's all you see now. We, we mask it in the guise of all kinds of things, you know, justice and fairness and we, 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 you know, acceptance, we mask it in all these things. Listen, following their own sinful desires, that's all it is. It's people saying, I'm full of sin, I have this sinful desire, I want to walk it out, I want to live it, and I don't want any judgment from you, and I don't want anything, I don't want anything said about it, I want to live as perverse and wicked as I want, and you have to accept it. Not only am I free to do it and allowed to do it, I want you to accept it and applaud it and say congratulations all the way. And in many cases, if you don't affirm it and you don't agree with it, then you'll be the one to be punished. But all it is is this. Don't ever complicate what it is. It's just people following their own sinful desires. That's all it is. So in the last days, 
Scoffers will come, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, where is the return of Christ? That ain't happening. Everybody's been saying that, and it's not happened. But they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these... The world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. So we know that this is what is coming on the earth in the final time. I want to go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read you verse 8 as we close this morning. It says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So he tells about all the horrible things that were happening on the earth, the, the rejection, the rebellion, the, the complete turning to sin. And it tells us about God's decision to flood the earth and bring judgment but then we get to verse 8 and it says but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord well if if the days of Noah are a example of what the days are going to be like before Christ and if the ark is a represent, representation of the the rapture and preservation of the church then I believe that Noah is a representation of the remnant, the body of Christ, that will be living on earth at that time righteously before God, persevering, the perseverance of the saints, persevering in godliness, persevering in righteousness. So all I can tell you is this. One of two, when Jesus returns, you're going to be in one of two camps. You're going to be in the group, the Noah group, the preserved group, the righteous remnant, or you're going to have been absorbed into the things of this world following the ways and culture of this world. And please understand, you make that decision every day by your choices, by how you live, by, by what you choose to do and not do, by, by what you choose to turn away from, by what you choose to walk away from, by getting up, choosing to come to church this morning. All of that, you're choosing every day which group you're going to be part of. This is why when we have people accept Christ in our services, I always tell them at the end of the service, I always tell them, I say, listen, living for Christ is a daily decision. It's not a one-time decision. That's a mistake for us to think that, oh yeah, you know, I accepted Christ back in 1982. That's great. That was a great starting point. It's a phenomenal starting point. But Living for God is a daily choice that we make. It doesn't mean that you're saved over and over again. No, you're, you're saved, I get it, when you're, when you're born again. But listen, choosing to live for God is a daily commitment and a daily decision to say, I'm walking this path, I'm living this life, and I'm rejecting a whole other path and a whole other way of living. And it happens through daily choices and daily decisions in the smallest of ways. Amen.